Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. All right, welcome, everybody. We've got a fantastic show today. We're recording How to Succeed in Product Management, and we are that's a podcast that's available on every major podcasting platform. And we're here talking about platforms. So we have two experts here who are going to talk to you a little bit about what platforms are, what's the difference with platform product management, and dive into how to succeed. So we're going to start with our guest here. Arjun, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Jeff. My name is Arjun Subramanian. I am an, obviously, I'm a product leader. My last role was director of product at Axon, where I helped bootstrap and build the platform organization. I've had a variety of roles through my career, spent close to 12 years at Amazon, and also at uh, a few years at Qualtrics before Axon. So yeah, just really happy to kind of be here and help people kind of understand what this platform space is. All right. Thank you for being here. Thank you for recommending the topic. And also, thank you for being on the founding advisory board of the Product Management Center. Arjun was instrumental in getting us off the ground from day one, day zero. He was a part of what we're building here at the University of Washington. So great to have you as a guest here today. And Sumeya, you're here every single week. So grateful for your commitment to developing a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. I want to hear from you just a little bit about your experience in platforms in particular. Yeah, absolutely. So good to see everyone here. Happy uh, Tuesday, everyone. <laughs> so when it comes to platform, I think my experience is similar to a lot of PMs in terms of, you know, having started my career working on individual products that were either part of a platform or they were applications on their own. And then over time, as my responsibility grew, I ended up taking responsibility for an entire platform that might have multiple products under it. Currently at VMware, we have actually a number of platforms. One of them is Tanzu Application Platform. So there's that experience. I've also had it on the media and publishing side. And as we continue the conversation today, we can talk a little bit about, as an individual PM, if what you're responsible for is a piece within a larger platform, what does that look like? And then as your responsibility grows and you take on the, you know, the responsibility for the entire platform, what that looks like as well. So I'm excited about today's conversation and the insights we're all going to share. All right. I'm excited for today's conversation for two reasons. One, I think this is an interesting and exciting area that I keep hearing more and more about. And two, Samaya, I don't know if you're cool with this, but I was thinking today would be the first time we unveil a new game, how to succeed in product management game, where uh, three words, I'm going to give you three words, and you'll have to string together some advice. So unveiling of a new game and turn it, putting the tainment in edutainment here today. But speaking of the edu part, the education, Arjun, tell us two things. One, what is a platform product? And two, why are they listening? Like, I know it's a little different from what we had talked about before, but like, why is this a conversation that people should be paying attention to? And who should be paying attention to it? All right. So 
first of all, I think that it's a really incredible space within the product management kind of domain, and it doesn't get as much attention as the different other archetypes of PMs. And I constantly hear of PMs that want to break into product management. They come from different backgrounds. They want to know what they can do. And you're going to be doing yourself a huge disservice if you didn't at least consider platform product management as one of the major archetypes of product management to kind of build your career on. So that's why you should really pay attention because I think there's huge opportunity here. A lot of companies are building platform product teams. It's crucial to the economics of companies as they scale. And so, you know, if your skills and your interests kind of line up, this is a great place for you to build your career. So that's why you should actually pay attention and listen to what we're going to say. And Jeff, what was your second question? What is a platform? What is a platform product? What do you mean by that? Okay, so platforms are are, are software products that kind of emerge typically within companies, but they don't always have to emerge within companies. There are companies that are shipping themselves as products. But the key characteristic of a platform is that it's a software product that is designed to improve the operating leverage of the R&D spend within a company. Okay, so let me kind of like tease that apart for you. Almost every company out there that's in the science and technology space, it could be software, not a software, is going to be spending R&D dollars. And all of these companies are resource constrained. So they're making constant decisions about how to allocate those R&D dollars across their different products. And a platform product is something that's designed to improve the operating leverage of that spend. So it actually makes the investment returns of the other products the company ships much more effective. Okay, so typically you're going to see a platform product emerge when a company has more than one successful kind of product that it's shipped to either a business customer or, you know, maybe like a consumer or something like that. And as they kind of like expand into adjacencies, they're going to start to realize there's a very, very kind of inefficient way to do this. And there's a much more efficient way to do it. And the efficient way to do it is to really start thinking about the parts, the bits and pieces within the products that are successful that can be managed professionally, that can kind of be encapsulated and extracted and managed as products in their own right. When you do this, what you'll see is that the effectiveness of the spend that comes after making this kind of investment is dramatically better than before, right? So your ability to ship goes up, so the velocity of how quickly you can get to market goes up, the actual cost of getting things to market goes down, all right? And your ability to create new adjacencies goes up because what you really do is take out all the little valuable pits and pieces across your most successful products and start to you know, put your best talent on them. So then your platforms themselves can become products. And this kind of happened, the biggest example of this, the most successful example of this is something like Amazon, right? So the first version of AWS was something like this, where engineers within Amazon, they needed a way to store and retrieve objects very easily. And so they built S3. Okay, and so they ripped out all the bits and pieces that they would need in order to do that effectively as engineers. And then one day they externalized that and that became the seeds of AWS. And there's entire companies that are founded as platforms. So you can see Stripe as maybe like the quintessential company that went to the payments domain and took out all the bits and pieces you would need in order to move money. And they built a platform, right? The the Stripe payments platform. Does that make sense? Yes, and I have a question for Samea. Last week, we talked about building internal tools. Can you describe where this conversation is going to overlap and where it's going to diverge from just a discussion of building internal tools? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think in some ways, one, you know, to take some of what Arjun has been saying is to think about platform almost as a packaging and go-to-market mechanism with actually a little more than that. But if we were to like reduce the whole conversation down to saying, how are you going to deliver tools, whether internally to your customer or externally to other customers? And one of the best ways for you to do that is through a platform. Then platform becomes almost like a channel of delivery or a way of packaging different capabilities, different products together. You know, sometimes I find it a little hard to have the conversation grounded in the product versus platform realm, even though a lot of people's careers are either in product or platform. But the reality is a platform itself is a product. So a lot of times PMs who are just building the platform that a bunch of products are going to be delivered through, think about it as a product. It might not be monetizable, but it's delivering value exponentially to the customer and it's delivering value to the products within it as well. So to answer your question, you can deliver internal tools through a platform. The platform itself can be one of the internal tools that allows the other PMs to deliver their own products through it. And so there are multiple ways to find value in platform internally. Okay, so I think there's this kind of like one heuristic you can use to kind of really understand the platform product and its value, right? I want to go back to this idea of leverage, right? I'll give you like a simple example. In order to understand this, you know, I'm assuming everybody knows what a fixed cost is and what a variable cost is, right? You know, if you're going to build like a factory, there's a fixed cost associated with that. And then if you're shipping widgets out of that factory, there's a variable cost associated with that. Right now, in the software space, it's kind of like an analog to this, and that's where leverage really comes to play. Now, I'll use a very common example to kind of illustrate this. Take something like Google's kind of authentication system, something like the Google ID. When Google got set up and they first started to launch their original, you know, search product, they needed to personalize it. There was a pretty large fixed investment they had to make in R&D resources, like really smart people, staff engineers, the data centers, all that stuff, the code they had to write in order to get the original authentication system for Google that included the Google ID up and running, okay? Once you do that, the marginal cost of every subsequent authentication and the billions of authentications that came after that is basically zero, right? There's no cost to authenticating Another Google user, they do that, you know, billions of times. So it's almost zero, right? And this is a great example of leverage because the authentication domain is typically a platform product and it's managed professionally. And it's because it has that characteristic. It has this, this interesting economic characteristic that you make an upfront investment in something and then you just see this crazy operating leverage come out of it where the marginal cost of expanding the use of that thing drops to zero. All right. And not everything is like this. So, for example, right, like if Apple wanted to launch another app that kind of like mixed and matched all the different photos using the latest AI tools or whatever, the marginal cost of shipping that app is not zero. It's not a platform. All right. So the defining characteristic of a platform and in your company, if you're working on a platform is, are you really having that dynamic where your invention, your contribution and your platform product is built in such a way that you build it once? And then the company can essentially build on top of it and do lots and lots of things for almost zero marginal cost. And that's, that's the heuristic you want to look out for to see if you're actually building a platform product. 
Sometimes they can be internal tools. Sometimes they're external products. But when you look at the way the, the costs work, that's how it will look if it's a true platform product. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that's, a, you know, asking that question is important. It also raises a couple of points through just highlighting a couple of things you said, Arjun. You would have already come to the conclusion that there will be benefits from building this in a platform way, or you would have tested it, or you have already release it in some way or found product market fit before you can truly build it in an extensible, scalable way. The reason I bring this up is because a lot of times platforms uncover themselves. So over time, we have seen that there are, especially now, especially for SaaS companies, there are more and more platforms. But in the early days of the product, how would you approach whether you're going to be able to define this as a product or not? Yeah. So when you're, you know, especially in the early days, I think it's every company has kind of like this evolution, right? You start with one successful thing and hopefully you find the product market fit and that thing just takes off. It doesn't have to be software, but, you know, we're talking software or tech companies here in general. And then you see a proliferation. There is a kind of a timing aspect to when you build a platform. There is like a kind of a maybe a naive way to go about it when you build a company is to just say, oh, we're going to make everything a platform on day one. And unfortunately, that will turn out to be quite expensive and it wouldn't be the right course of action because you don't quite know who your customers are and you know what to build for. So you have a moving target in front of you. Platforms really kind of come into play in kind of the middle stage of a company's success when they've already found one product that's like amazing and it's successful and they're looking to build more products. And they're trying to do that expansion into adjacencies in a way that's like super advantageous to them, maximizing the benefit that they're getting from every dollar that they spend, right? Maximizing the actual kind of optionality that the management team has to change course and adjust and make you know, iterations so that they have the flexibility to react. So, you know, I want to answer that question by saying there is such a thing as, you know, kind of building a platform too early. There's also such a thing as building a platform too late. Okay, if you have like 10 successful products or if you have like, you know, a bunch of acquisitions that you've made. Right. It's a very, very, very kind of late time to be building a platform. It's hugely expensive. You'll be essentially bogging your entire engineering team down in a giant effort to kind of like merge things and like, you know, separate things out. And that's not really very useful either. So the timing of when you do this is actually important. So now let's say you get the timing right. And now, you know, you're, you're in that middle, middle, middle spot. And now you want to build a platform. The key thing to look out for is look at the actual abstractions in the product. Like look, actually just open up the product that's being built and look at all the ways in which concepts in the product are confusing. Okay. And you'll see very quickly that like different kind of like different, because different people kind of like, think about different ideas differently and they're encapsulated in the product differently, you'll very quickly start to see areas that can essentially be encapsulated together logically and you can pull them out, all right? So let's kind of use an example to extrapolate this, right? So like if you take something like, take Stripe, for example, right? They kind of went about this and they said, look, we want to do a platform, but we're actually going to do it for the internet, for everyone, right? So we're going to build an API product that lets you move money, right? And see, they looked at all the existing products out there And they were able to kind of break out very neatly in little tight encapsulations that they literally kind of codified in their APIs, like little, like, you know, you know, actually enforced in the code, right? How to move money. And they did that by just looking at how the business worked, 
And that's where the product chops come in, right? You have to actually be able to think about things, not just from a technology point of view or a business point of view, but sort of at the intersection of the two. So when you understand the payments domain and you understand, okay, here's how money movement works in you know different countries and different use cases, you're able to kind of like break out those bits and pieces into kind of neat little blocks. And that's the kind of the genesis of a platform. And that point about leverage, especially within the Stripe example, for example, is very important because Stripe, for example, had to get a lot of regulatory requirements done. It had to build out this infrastructure with the payment providers. And so having done all that, then opening up the world into the rest of the payments that any financial institution or any business might be interested in and understanding those personas and the journey that these companies take, which are in this case specifically within the B2B space, becomes really important into like making that decision in the early days. If we were to go back six years ago after they built the initial you know, Stripe kernel API, beyond that, did they sit down together and say, hey, now we're going to build a platform? And probably the answer is yes, because there are lots of decisions that have to go into the architecture, the, the resiliency, the reliability of the system, and that enables them then to basically get the investment out of everything they're putting in early on. Yeah, and you can actually see the economics of Stripe like that, right? You can actually literally see, if you think about like how much effort they put into solving a simple money movement with credit cards, you know, kind of use case. And then like, what does it cost the actual, you know, user? Like what does it cost them to actually transact every subsequent money movement? It's almost zero, right? And so you can see that platform economics at work. You can see this in every company that successfully has kind of built a platform, right? You'll see that curve play out. All right, we're going to get to audience questions in a moment so they could hear what they want to learn about platform product management. But what I want to hear a little bit, you've touched upon this a bit, but if you can get more specific about how do you define metrics of success for platform and how do those metrics of success differ from perhaps other uh, types of products? So more specifics on the metrics of success for a platform, how you determine them or what they are, and how do those differ from other products? Arjun? Yeah. So the first one, you know, the first one is actually just right back to the topic of leverage. There's literally no other product team that will have a metric around leverage than a platform team. All right. And there's different ways to write this metric. But one way could be essentially the way that you have made something easier or lower cost for another one of a company's products. No other product pillar will have that. Like if you go look at their scorecards, they'll all define their metrics either from, you know, some kind of adoption or some kind of revenue growth or something like that. Platform products are unique because they'll actually have OKRs or missions or whatever you call them that are designed to measure how much easier and lower cost they have made things for another product the company builds. Okay, so that that's like the first one. The second thing you're going to see is that Platforms are usually going to be much closer to the builders. So it's going to be much closer to engineering than other companies. So they're going to be very, very, very responsive to the kinds of things that, you know, you think about when you think about uh, product metrics, like core product metrics. So things like latency, things like, you know, the user experience, things like the failures that you might see and those sorts of things. And they make their way into product scorecards. Now, you will have adoption goals just like you would for any other kind of platform team. But one way it's different is you're going to have less of the kind of revenue goals and kind of like the sales goals and that sort of thing start showing up in a platform team scorecard. 
Yeah, I'll add a couple more metrics that sometimes we look at. You know, DevOps-related metrics around MTTR and reliability are really important. And then, and we can talk about those in a little more detail. And then the second one, which is tying up with what Arjun said around leverage, is experience. So overall experience. A lot of times the platform team is the one responsible for designing the overall customer experience throughout the platform. They might have certain requirements that they want every other, all the PMs who are building on the top of the platform to follow. Everything from expectations around certain performance, requirements to the you know design things and, and experience interaction requirements. So those are a couple of other areas that you might have as a platform that you wouldn't necessarily have for other types of products. Yeah, that's a great point, Sami. I, I love that. So like typically every, most companies, you know, again, going by this theme of like, let's say you have like more than one successful product, your portfolio is sort of like a quilt, right? You've quilted together all of these different products to presumably have a successful business. And platform teams are really kind of like present at the seams between all these different products. So like the things that, you know, platforms typically build are things like, you know, the, the core authentication stuff or like the core storage capabilities or the core you know, figuring out gnarly problems like uh, permissioning and partitioning of, you know, features between different, you know, different products, how they should work across products. You know, anytime you see like a feature that like essentially cuts across different products and you, you kind of need it to cut across different products, platforms are usually the ones kind of like thinking through the really gnarly implications of that. So that ends up becoming a big part of platform scorecards, like measuring how the user experience is on features that cut across different products the company builds. I have a follow-up question on something each of you said. So one for each of you. One, Arjun, you said you want to measure cost savings, and that seems like it's a counterfactual. We won't know what it would have costed if we didn't build this. And you may have past costs, but if you're growing and expanding usage, that seems like a, a hard number to actually get as a specific number. Can you describe a little bit more about how you deal with that issue? Yeah, so it doesn't have to be a number that describes the cost savings. It could be, uh, you know, path A and path B. So you can have order of magnitude kind of analysis that tells you, you know, hey, this is clearly not the most cost-effective option. The base, the most basic example I can give you is if you take, you know, authentication again and take Amazon as an example, it would be ludicrously naive for Amazon to rebuild its authentication system every time they launched a new storefront. It would just not scale right? It would make no sense. It would be very, very, you know, cost ineffective for Amazon to build a new payments wallet that stores all of Amazon's customers, the hundreds and hundreds of millions of customers, their, their payment credentials, build the safe room and the security precautions that they take in order to access the payment methods. It would be very ineffective for Amazon to build like a fraud detection system that is replicated amongst every one of its business units. And so there's lots of stuff like this where it's not the juice isn't worth the squeeze to get down to the pennies. But if you just did the analysis of what the business functions are, it would be very clear that like, it's just not effective for you, not, not financially, and certainly not from a customer experience point of view, and worse from a strategy point of view, because it closes doors for you in the future to rebuild these capabilities in each of these different business units. So most companies, when they reach that inflection point where they have more than one product that's successful, they'll look at this and they'll go, wow, this doesn't make any sense. So in my last role at, at Axon, which I'm, I'm on a break from right now, so I'm not employed by Axon, but 
I took a sabbatical this year. But you know, we did that a lot because Axon was very successful and they had lots and lots of new products that were launching. And very quickly, we were able to distill out what we called primitives, little uh, Lego blocks that we could reuse to build more products. And they were vastly more efficient if one team owned, built, and operated them. So that's the way we think about it, Jeff. And you'll see the way you'll see it come out is when you do your budgeting and planning for every year, you'll see on an annual basis that the organization is just shipping faster. And you will see your stakeholders tell you that it was because of what you did. You'll see that attributed back to you. Your own customers within the company will say that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it also tends to show up in your CAC and LTV, which you can measure at the platform level. A lot of times, yes, we definitely measure them at the product level. But if you have a SKU for the actual platform, and sometimes you know there are specific pricing strategies for a platform versus just the individual product capabilities, you'll be able, over time, if platform is actually the right solution, you'll be able to see your CAC and LTV going down, mainly based on that factor. If you were to isolate you know, the addition of new features, et cetera, and just focus on the platform addition, those two metrics will show up as getting better over time. And then, Samaya, I want to follow up. You said MTTR or MTR, if you could clarify what it was and what it stands for as one of the success metrics. Uh, yes, MTTR is a mean time to recovery. So in software overall, one of the most important, you know, reliability and quality measures is that if your software was to go down or fail for some reason, how fast can it come back live? So the idea here is failure is almost a sure thing in most software. The key here is to make it a non-event. So it fails and a second later it's recovered or a minute later or whatever your benchmark is. One of the way to, way to think about the cost savings is to think about it in terms of the cost of the people, okay? So most of the time, one of the ways, one of the kind of like, if you will, like the, the indicators of this should be a platform product is when there's like a clustering of necessary skills happens around a specific problem and it turns to be a very kind of a deep issue, Okay. So something that requires a lot of expertise. So like I brought up the example of fraud. That's one. At Axon, persistence and storage of large amounts of data, like body-worn camera video and all that, was a deep technical problem and product problem. There was just so many complications and so many things you need to understand to do it. So you'll see it because when you centralize that and you manage it like a product, you'll see that you'll need fewer people to do it and you'll be more effective at doing it. And that'll show up in your kind of headcount requests as well. All right, I got a couple follow-up questions and then we're going to get to audience Q&A. But you've said a couple of things that my sense is tingling saying, wait a minute, it sounds like a platform product manager is almost in no one's land where they're not directly on a single product that's out there making money. And so do you get kind of lost in the shuffle as a platform product manager or because nobody wants to pay for it, they just, they all rely on it, but they don't want to be the ones that give the headcount and the budget? Or is there higher powers that realize just the magic and the importance of this velocity? So this is where it comes down to the forward thinking and the kind of the the strategic thinking and the leadership team. So if you look at every company that that crosses this kind of chasm and goes from one successful product to more than one successful product and is able to continue scaling, they all at some level decide they're going to fund a platform team. Different companies kind of do it differently, but they all form some kind of understanding amongst themselves that the platform is having some value to everybody 
and they're going to fund it. Okay. In my last gig, you know, we basically had a very simple approach. We said, you know, we're just going to take like X percent off the top and we're going to fund it. And it was a platform organization with teams, headcount, all of that stuff. So it was exactly the same as every other product pillar, except that instead of funding it based on like revenue or like what you're bringing to the company, it's like a tax that everybody pays so that everybody benefits. So that's one way to do it. Companies like Amazon do it differently. Some teams within Amazon work like a tax and others kind of have other kind of agreements with business lines. But there has to be some kind of leadership buy-in that a platform is now the right thing to do for the company. Without that, you know, it's, it's impossible to build a platform because it's not directly attributable to revenue. All right. Samaya, did you have anything to add or should we move on to my last question before we get to audience questions? I just wanted to highlight that in my experience, I've seen the platform PMs actually be some of the most, the strongest PMs or people who are put on the platform product itself are some of the more experienced and strong PMs in the organization. The role itself requires so much management and influence without authority, obviously here, because you have a lot of other product teams you have to interact with and you have to do a lot of alignment. And so it requires someone who's able to uncover dependencies, who's able to have high-level conversations and influence the, basically the kind of harmony that you want to create successful products. And last but not least, in addition to the tax pathway, I've also just seen it as something that the company decides is an investment we want to make right now. So, you know, it's time for a platform. We see these are the economics, these are the actual signals that tell us it's the right thing to do and we're making an investment into it so it is not a secondary you know less powerful products management role for sure all right so that leads to my next question uh, that was based off of what was said before and just now who should find themselves in platform product management so what are the personal characteristics interests or skills that lend themselves to going into platform versus some of the others and i say this because it sounds to me i'm going to throw out a conjecture with mttrs and all that you're talking about it sounds like this is a far more technical role than maybe other product manager roles correct me if i'm wrong and tell us what it takes arjun yeah, you're absolutely right. So like that is the one kind of distinguishing characteristic here. You got to love working with engineering teams. You'll spend a lot of time with engineering teams. You'll kind of like really learn to understand how engineering operations work, how the guts of the technology work and how you're able to kind of like map that back to how the actual stuff works on, you know, the customer side. That's not to say it's it's really important to understand the basic kind of, you know, if you were to draw like that Venn diagram of like how PMs spend time, you know, with sales, with marketing, with customers, with users, so on and so forth. It's not really very, in some total, the units of time are not different, but the proportion is different. And you'll be expected in a platform team to have very, very deep relationships in the engineering teams. And the other thing Samia brought up is like super critical. I think that this particular archetype of PM has to be really superb at setting a vision, having backbone and influencing. Because the soft power here and the ability to kind of defend your charter and be able to justify it, just the bar is just so much higher because everybody is, by default, most people are looking at a platform and they're going, show me your value, right? That's what's going through the head. Like, why should I take something from my budget that I could use for me and give it to you? So it has to, if I put a dollar into you, I got to get, you know, a dollar twenty out. So working at that caliber, being able to like influence without, without direct authority is really, really important. 
I would also add a couple other characteristics. Uh, the first one is the ability to think long term. So a lot of the you know evaluations you do with products, if you've heard me speak about this in the past, I'm a huge fan of lean, agile, you know, where you experiment quickly, you try things, you get them out to the market. You can't necessarily do that with platform. In fact, you probably should not 99 0.9% of the time do that with platform. If you need to take a week, a month, however you need to actually understand what you need to build so that it's scalable and it's as useful to everyone and it delivers the value, then you should do that. This is one of those, you know, exception to that rule that everyone said, you know, build things quickly and break them. The platform and hardware to me, are a couple of areas where you should take the time ahead, think through things, do your due diligence, and build for the future. Build something that's going to last for a couple of years or more rather than something that's just going to last a few months. And then you test and, you know, it's not about testing and experimenting. It's about building something that's definitely going to work. Yeah, that's actually a really crucial point. PMs in this space have to wear a slightly different attitude. If you take a company that's like been successful for like two decades, three decades, whatever, the oldest teams, the oldest products that have stood the test of time are almost certainly platform products. Okay. So like some of the first lines of code that were ever written on amazon.com was on the authentication systems or the payment systems. So, and everything came after that. So like there's a huge kind of cost to getting it wrong. And there's a huge benefit to getting it right because those investments that, that, that were made, you know, decades ago are still to this day kind of operating at near zero marginal cost, right, for those companies. So it's hugely valuable on both the plus and the minus side. All right. So we've established that platforms is a, an exciting and important area, and it's not for all product managers, but uh, there could be if you have both the ability to work heavily with engineers and to pull your weight around and show that you're adding value, that this could be for you. And now for you, those in the audience, I want to give you a chance to get your questions answered. Uh, let's keep them specifically to platform. We talk about product management in general every single week. So if you have a general product management question, come on back next week. But if you have a question about platforms and platform product management or for uh, directly about Arjun's experience, raise your hand. We'd love to get you on stage. So please raise your hand or message one of us on LinkedIn if you want us to read it quietly without attribution. So raise your hand if you want to get your question answered. And in the meantime, Sumeg, uh, go ahead. Uh, sorry, quick question. So based on my experience, but it could be also completely biased because of uh, the VMware side of the house, based on my experience, PMs on the platform side to need to be a little more technical than other products. And the reason I say this is because they need to make architectural decisions. They need to get a little bit more into the weed of technical design than in the other areas. Arjun, has that been true for you as well? Uh, yes. Although I want to caveat one, yes, that is correct that you need to be more comfortable on the tech side. But I will say that having run platform organizations now, one failure mode for PMs is within platform teams, they're 
they're usually kind of going the trap that you'll see is that you're naturally attracted to the people that you spend a lot of time with which can be engineering teams so you know just to counterbalance that like yes you have to spend a lot of time with you know the tech but your role is still a product role so you have to be like super clued in to the customer and so i just want to make sure like my thoughts are kind of like maybe you know not over indexed on this it's just one failure mode is you can essentially spend all your time with engineering teams and add no value. The value that a product manager provides is to actually be really clued into the customer, the stakeholders, the ability to like define things and understand and problem solve. And so, yes, yeah. you have to be technically capable, but not not kind of like lose yourself in that space. Yeah, and I, I think I would agree with that. I mean, regardless of the product, you always want to make sure you don't have tunnel vision and just focus on the engineers. However, what I'm seeing like a little bit of nuance around here, and again, also based on my experience, is a lot of times in platforms, engineers are your customer. And so the other engineers, the other PMs building on top of your system have a lot of insights. You also have the, you know, you're essentially in a B2B2C model where the C is the other business or whomever the end customer is. But then the other product teams are building on top of your platform or being accessed through your platform. And so you need to keep an eye on both. And because engineers, again, tend to also be your customer, you tend to have technical conversations with them with some depth and, yeah, authority. All right. So normally we would break for audience questions. The audience is a little shy today. So we're going to introduce our brand new game, trying to make edutainment, education and entertainment at once. So the game is based off of a Jimmy Fallon skit. I'm going to give three words and you have to try to pull them together in one coherent bit of advice for platform product managers. To do this, I'm going to randomly select the words. Arjun, give me three numbers between one and 44. Okay. Two eight and 12. Okay. Two, eight and 12. These are buzzwords that I asked the product management center community to give me buzzwords in product management. I'm going to let either of you chime in. (laughs) So I'm going to let either of you chime in. You get to decide whoever feels that they could go first and weave these three buzzwords together in advice for platform product management. They are zero to one, first cut and customer centric. Can you weave together a meaningful advice for platform product managers with zero to one, first cut, customer centric? Who's going to be our winner today? <laughs> uh, you should only build a platform team after you go zero to one. Your first cut should always be customer centric. Ooh. <laughs> so, man, he's, he's swooped that, in there. And that is legit advice. <laughs> I agree. That was not a BS sentence. All the buzzwords were used in a very rational statement I can get behind. Oh, that's awesome. All right. So we have a a victory here. We might play again. uh, But first, we have our first guest of the day. Verinda, just to remind you, we're recording this conversation and it's distributed as the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast available on all major podcasting platforms. So we'll respect your privacy. Just use the first name. But what's your question today? Thank you. I'm a platform product manager currently tasked with stitching together disparate AI tools into an online learning platform. And during the conversation, you mentioned uh, that building a platform retroactively is fraught with challenges. So what advice do you have for PMs stitching technologies together into a single platform? Well, this is really tough because I think there's a little bit of, I think if you find yourself in this situation, 
you basically have to figure out where your leadership team is at and how they're thinking about what a platform is. Some of the key things that we talked about, right? Um, the reason that's important is because this isn't just a technical exercise in like kind of mixing and matching legacy mm -hmm. stuff together. You really need to like make sure your leaders understand that you're going to be kind of like strategically going in and figuring out what parts of each product is going to be helpful as a platform, right? And you'll find very quickly that either, you know, there isn't real alignment on what that is and why that's good. Or if there is alignment, then your stakeholders are going to all have different expectations about what you're trying to do. So, so the first thing I'd say is, do you feel that, you know, the general direction of what a platform is, is kind of like set correctly at the leadership level and across your peers? I would add a couple of things to that. If everyone is behind uh, the effort and you are finding that there are some challenges, I've seen that there are challenges in a couple of buckets. Usually it's either around the technology, especially if you have a number of legacy systems you have to work with or, you know, incompatibility issues. And then the second one is, you know, there are customer constraints, things specific to one product or the other. And in general, I would say, choose the path of least resistance to start that's going to show the biggest wins. So what does that mean? It means you might not have to have all the products on the platform to start. You might not have all the features that are a requirement for all the product to start. So even if it is a platform where just two out of a portfolio of five or three out of five to start with just the authentication and let's say the license management feature live, go with that. Uh, show wins fast, show them often, and that will allow you then to make the case for bringing the other stuff around. Now, you have to have a road ahead or like a, a view on what you're going to do with the other stuff that have all these challenges because you're going to be asked that question. And remember, you want to make long-term decisions. So when you're thinking about the architecture, make sure you take the other stuff into consideration too. It's just when it comes to taking action, you still are going to have to do it one step at a time. So don't hesitate in that part. Thank you. That was awesome advice. Thank you, Vrinda, for asking the question. I'm sad that Red usually handles the Q&A and he brings so much more enthusiasm <laughs> for the Q&A. I can't match it, but grateful that you asked the question. And, and since you did, I just want to make sure that you got what you needed today. Or did you have a follow-up question on anything they said or on what you're working on? No, I think in a general sense, that's great advice. So surely going to apply it as I make decisions going forward, both on the architectural end and strategy-wise. All right. Glad it could be helpful to you. Go ahead, Sumeya. I did have a very quick question. Even if you don't have to be very specific, Verinda, but are there specific areas where you're seeing maybe danger around the corner you're, you want to think through? Any other specifics you're working through you want to share with us? Some areas that are more challenging, uh, I think one is just building that unified user experience. So there are actually five AI tools. It's funny you use the number five to give your example. And all five are already in the field. They are fielded live AI tools and users have interacted with them. But what I'm being asked to do is now bring them under one umbrella and create a unified experience and also a, a unified data architecture around it. So 
related to that, I think uh, th- there are many gaps that we can fulfill. And I loved your advice of focusing on you know authentication, license management, because that will help us aggregate some of the data uh, and build synergy across tools. But yet there are many other issues around that that I'm grappling with right now. Yeah, and sometimes the actual product team might not be the one you need to go to to get support for the approach. So, for example, when it comes to license management, a lot of product teams might not necessarily prioritize it for their product because they don't have purview of the others. But I will tell you, just from my experience in talking to customers over the past few years, they'll tell me, for example, oh, we have so many of your products, but we wish we could go to one portal and manage all our licenses from that one place. And so if you need to go beyond the product teams you're interacting with and get data, maybe sales teams, maybe from customer support people, you should, because your prioritization criteria can look a little different than other teams' prioritization criteria. All right. Thank you, Vrinda. It looks like we lost our guest today. So, Sumeya, I want to hear from you concluding thoughts. What is it that related to platform product management that you want to make sure you leave the audience with, whether it's regarding their career uh, path, their choice, or how to succeed, or anything we've talked about? What do you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, just a, a couple of thoughts. I think not a lot has been written about product management uh, for platforms, but no one should let that scare them. The same principles around understanding why you're building something, who you're building it for, you know, building strategy that delivers value for the business and the user. All of those principles still apply exactly in the same way. It's just the complexities of the technology, the complexity of the decision-making, the lens of long-term viewing and, you know, the scale at which you might have to think about certain criteria. Those are the little things that are different. And you'll figure that out on the job because you'll be working with really smart engineers, smart designers who will help you think through those solutions for those problems. So congratulations to those of you who have interest in this. I think it's an exciting part of our technology world, for sure. All right, Arjun, we are wrapping up. Any concluding thoughts that you want to leave the audience with today? The only thing I'll say is I really wish for every, each and every one of you to consider you know, building platforms as you know, one of the big things that you would do in your career as a product manager. If you are someone that wants to transition from a technical role to uh, product management, this is actually one of the most effective ways to do that. If you're not in a technical role and you want to be closer to the technology, this is also a great way to do that. So it just tends to be something that is probably in the last 10 years has gotten more popular, but many of the other forms and archetypes of product management have been kind of around for a bit longer. So it doesn't get as much attention. So, But it's becoming a really big part of every company that wants to grow fast and grow big. So yeah, my hope is, you know, the stock convinced you to really think about it and dig into what this is and sharpen the skills here. All right. Thank you, Arjun. Thank you, Sumeya. Before I get to my concluding thoughts, I have just a quick poll. Do you want to see us cover platform product management again? Did you want to hear a little bit more? Because we had some guest speakers who were interested in today, but were unable to. So give me a thumbs up if you'd be interested in hearing more about platform product management. And it's okay if I don't see some thumbs up, but I'm seeing a few. So grateful for those who are doing that. 
And so we might return with another platform product management episode. And until then, I want to say thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you to Arjun for being on the founding advisory board for the Product Management Center, building it from the ground up. And thank you to Samea for uh, continuing what we built and taking it to new heights every week, sharing insights here and, and just pushing forward to bring more people into product management. Our goal here is to just make sure two things. One, everybody could see themselves in product management if that's what their dream is. And that once you're there, everybody has the tools and knowledge to excel and hopefully to excel not just building products that serve the few, but products that universally improve lives, thinking about a broader set of people than technology has historically served in the past, or at least served well. So thank you for listening, and we will see you next week on how to succeed in product management.